Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and well, actually today I'm not your host. Today I'm a guest. Ben Ronald, our producer extraordinaire, will be guiding the ship, interviewing me for our latest episode of Versus, where we dive into how the biggest brands and businesses compete to win. Today, we take a trip down memory lane and reflect on the competitive lessons from the inaugural smartphone war between Apple and BlackBerry. On January 8, 2022, RIM announced that they would close BlackBerry's phone service for good, peaking at 50 million units sold just a decade prior. Life comes at you fast. Meanwhile, during that time, Apple has emerged as the smartphone market leader in North America, generating under $39 billion in 2021 on iPhone sales alone. The biggest battle nowadays? Well, that's Apple and Android, the Google-led operating system that's far more popular in the United Kingdom, China, and India. But the BlackBerry versus Apple retrospective is a story ripe with juicy lessons on competitive strategy. It's the story of product innovation, fate ceiling mistakes, competitive positioning, and billions of lost dollars. It's a story whose ending has now changed how our entire world currently operates. So. How the heck did BlackBerry slip from its lofty position as the preeminent smartphone? And what did Apple do to erase its biggest competitor? Well, let's find out in today's episode. I hope you enjoy. There is a major breakthrough headed to American consumers. It's the iPhone. Rich Demiro with CNET TV in New York City at the Apple Store, where the iPhone is set to launch later today. It's really, it's really kind of hitting me now, uh, just the madness of it, and, and just what a, what a really big deal it is. It does have a touchscreen. It's pretty unique on a cell phone, and there are absolutely no buttons except one right down here that takes you back to the home menu. What's going on with the BlackBerry? Must be terrible. You know, it really is crazy to think how far BlackBerry has fallen. All right, today I am joined by Adam McQueen, content lead at Clue, uh, my manager, and the host of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm Ben Ronald. You might know me as producer Ben. I spend most of my time lurking in the background on this show, and uh, I'm terrified to be on the mic. Uh, Adam, how do you feel about being a host on your own podcast? Honestly, man, I'm I'm kind of nervous now because I'm on the spot of being the guest, so I'm expected to actually like provide content and like knowledge. I, I when you're the host, you just get to fire questions, you just get to probe. That's that's my comfort zone. So now I'm out of my comfort zone, but uh, I am excited. We've done a freaky Friday and we're recording on Friday. I'm not sure which one of us is Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis, but this this is exciting. It's our second episode of Versus and I'm excited to dig into it. So today, this morning, we're talking about Apple versus BlackBerry. So it's the second installment of our series, the Versus series. Last time we talked about Tesla uh, versus Volkswagen uh, versus GM versus Ford in the battle for electric vehicle supremacy. And today we're going to be talking about Apple versus BlackBerry. Now, I am certainly old enough to remember the importance of BlackBerry. BlackBerry Messenger was, you know, the biggest thing uh, when I was in high school. I still remember my BlackBerry pin. It's 31DB5EFA. And so I, I certainly have like a lot of nostalgia around BlackBerry, but I probably haven't thought about 
BlackBerry with any kind of like scrutiny uh, or any deep thought in like 10 years. So why, why now? Why are we talking about BlackBerry? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question because nowadays, like the battleground for smartphones is sort of on the operating system front, you've got Apple and Android. It's sort of like a two-player market. And then on the actual phone maker side, you've got Apple, but then they dominate North America. But then outside, you've got kind of Samsung, uh, Xiaomi, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and Oppo. Like there's a bunch of different players in the market now. But what I love about this kind of retrospective BlackBerry versus Apple story is that that was the battle that kind of completely revolutionized how not only how we use phones, how we communicate, but honestly, how we live our lives. And so looking back, how quickly that battle played out, I know you're joking that like nostalgically, you're looking back, it was only 10 years ago, and the battle sort of heated up and then fizzled out within a span of years. Like it really was like a blink of an eye. And the reason I want to get into it is because there's so many lessons to be learned, both on like the BlackBerry blunders side, uh, the Apple innovation side. It's something we can look back on and see now when we're looking forward about how Apple's dealing with other competitors, are they situated better than BlackBerry were when they got overthrown? So let's get into it then. Can you paint me a picture of just how dominant BlackBerry was in their heyday? Yeah, well, I mean, also, I should note that funnily enough, BlackBerry, although I'm putting air quotes, they've been dead. They actually didn't cease to end their phone making service until January 8th of this year. This morning, the end of an era. Moment of silence for dear (laughs) departed BlackBerry. Starting today, the BlackBerry classic device, once a go-to for millions, including then-President Barack Obama, will no longer work. So there is some timeliness. I I can square peg round hole. There was some timeliness and... For any of the the small overlap in this Venn diagram we talked about of people that love competitive strategy and Sex in the City, if you watched the most recent Sex in the City reboot, one Miss Carrie Bradshaw was rocking the BlackBerry. Maybe it'll be the last time we see someone rocking the BlackBerry. I would say, so BlackBerry, when they peaked, it was about 10 years ago now. So I think it was around 2011 that they sold 50 million units and they're kind of peaking. They've got over 50% of the market share in the smartphone industry, um, over 20% of the market share in the global industry. And like their stock price is soaring. It's peaking. It's like at $230. Like they're, they're really kind of hitting their stride around that 2011, 2012 uh, timeline. But funnily enough, that's also the timeline where Apple start to just completely heat up as well. And so although BlackBerry were leading at 2011, it's sort of the, the years before that, the handful of years before that, that were actually leading to its demise. What was it? in your research that you come across, you know, if, if I can remember a time when it was the, you know, the standard issue phone, but I was probably too young to realize why, you know, what was it that made BlackBerry so successful? What was it about the product, about the technology, about the brand? Totally. I mean, BlackBerry revolutionized the market. Like they were the innovators in the space that completely changed how people communicate. Is this true though? You don't use a, you don't use a BlackBerry. No. Oh, no. Do you have a BlackBerry? I do have a BlackBerry, yeah. I find the BlackBerry people, they, their eyes, the pupils don't focus. They, they always hold it in their hand mm-hmm. because this is what BlackBerry commands them to do. <laughs> and they listen to what you're saying and they compare it to what is on the BlackBerry, which is really more interesting here to me. It really starts a research in motion, RIM. Uh, the manufacturers of BlackBerry. And 1998, they're presenting what they call the LeapFrog to their clients at the time, Bell. And the LeapFrog, it has this screen on it 
And then on the lower half, it has what we now know as the QWERTY keyboard. And if you look at the pictures now, if you go look up Google the leapfrog, you're going to laugh hysterically. I think, as you noted, Ben, it looks like the old Texas calculator, like the T-84. It's just, it's it's insane from where we've come from. But back then, the product and how that looked was revolutionary. And not only that, there was one element that really changed the game with their product. And it was that people weren't chained to their desk anymore. They could now send emails, receive emails away from their desk, which you couldn't do before. So now people can work away from their desks. That really changed how people can communicate with one another. Um, So I'd say those are like the two immediate things that come to mind when you see the leapfrog, which then became the original BlackBerry. But their initial success kind of, it came down to four reasons. And what is really cool is what BlackBerry did is they, They didn't attack an entire market like every phone user. They found this subset within the market, which ended up being the business professionals. They tailored a product that nailed, like the product market fit between the BlackBerry and that market. They nailed it and really built a devout following and a devout consumer base within this smaller subset of the market. And then they expanded from there. And the four things that they did was, as I mentioned, the product side of things. They could email away from the desk huge for business professionals, right? UI side of things, as I mentioned as well, the QWERTY keyboard. And then also on the marketing side of things, they what they did was really cool. Is they, they kind of started like influencers. They would give away their, their phones to sort of bankers, politicians. Look, I, I was this cool high-tech guy when I got there, right? Yeah. And I was the first president to have a BlackBerry. And so <laughs> years pass and no one else has BlackBerry. <laughs> Influential people in the financial industry, they had this like brand halo effect of making them synonymous with like business professionals. And then the last thing is the security side of things. IT departments and heads at all of these enterprise businesses, they really trusted RIM security capability. And as a result, these enterprise businesses are just purchasing thousands of Blackberries on behalf of their customers, on behalf of their employees, sorry. So there's, there's thousands of people now using Blackberries and it's all kind of fit within this business professional world. So they're starting to really make hay there. And as they start to grow, then they start to cater to a broader market, which which we'll get into here. Wild to think that before BlackBerry, the peak of mobile uh, technology, mobile devices was like a pager and then a Palm <laughs> Pilot where you could talk one way, you could kind of leave a message, but you couldn't have that kind of two-way communication. Obviously, it seems like centuries ago for us, but but really for, for people who are right in their sort of, you know, peak working age at that point, to have that ability was, I'm sure, unbelievable. 100%. And they've kind of like, so the product really shook up the phone industry, right? And they're in with business professionals. But at the same time, I think when you're, you fracture a market that well, you your eyes are set on more. And that's what RIM had. Like, Sure, you're addressing business professionals, but you're opening up Pandora's box. So they kind of set their sights on this broader base of consumers. And so as they get more traction, there's like these influencers, but then there's celebrities using Blackberries now. Oprah saying, yo, this is indispensable. You need a Blackberry. Like the Oprah effect was very real. There ain't nothing wrong with a little bit of Blackberry. That was in the mid 2000s where she said that they're coming out with cheaper models like the BlackBerry Pearl. They announced BBM, which 
was huge because there's this idea of exclusivity and this messaging app that was huge for a younger audience that grew up like I'm sure you grew up on the MSN messenger just like I did man like that kind of stuff it started to tailor to a broader market and that's how they became even bigger and bigger but this is also where Apple are gonna start to come into play here because although BlackBerry were catering to this broader market their products still like the roots and the origins of their product was to business professionals and although they had some of these capabilities and they were moving that way Apple kind of came in with the focusing on this broader market in mind as soon as that first iPhone was released. So BlackBerry, we've established they were the king and queen of the market. And Apple, even though the iPhone didn't come out till 2007, I mean, Apple as a business was still rolling pretty well up until that point. So can you give me an idea of what Apple's business was like uh, before the iPhone? Apple was like, they're not like small change. They were they were a big player and they're on the ascendancy, right? Around like the 2007 is when the first iPhone was released. So their revenue was kind of like around 24 billion before that. They've got the MacBook, although they're kind of battling with Microsoft at that point and they're not yet kind of the rocket fuel to the MacBooks about to go down too. But they've completely changed sort of the, the music industry with the iTunes store and the iPod itself. And this is what the front of it looks like, boom. That's iPod. I happen to have one right here in my pocket, matter of fact. This amazing little device holds a thousand songs and it goes right in my pocket. Just completely eradicating what CDs, Walkmans, cassettes, MP3 players, right? There's a huge amount of momentum, although they haven't done anything in the phone market. And when I look at all of their different product lines, it's funny, they all sort of circle around this central thing that hadn't been made yet that ended up becoming the the iPhone. So although they weren't a legacy phone maker, like a Nokia or something like that, like when we talked about the EV market, how these legacy car makers are pivoting to making EV models, uh, those legacy makers were slow to the game. It's They came in with this pre-existing technology and vision, and it kind of fit into building an iPhone. And, and I, I want to throw back to our last conversation last month when we were talking about Tesla. We actually, we, we had, we went through like two thirds of the episode before talking about Elon Musk, but that actually spurred a bit of a conversation about the importance of sort of a visionary founder to a company. Mm. Um, and obviously Apple has, you know, the, the OG <laughs> visionary founder. So can you tell me a little bit about the role that Steve Jobs had in, in making the iPhone? Yeah, well, like Steve Jobs was the OG product marketer, really. Let me take you back. Story time with that. So it's January 9th, 2007. And if anyone has 10 minutes, even five minutes, go watch this. Steve Jobs, he's pacing back and forth. He's wearing his now famous nondescript black shirt and blue jeans, which ironically, if you think about it, like very similar to a Dwayne The Rock Johnson's kind of fit back in the day as well. Maybe the first time that they've ever been compared to one another, but... Both, both OGs. We got a lot of interesting Venn diagrams <laughs> in this episode. They're both OGs. So Steve Jobs, he's pacing back and forth. And he's explaining these three new products that are coming out. A widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device. And so Jobs, he's pacing back and forth. He's just like looking at the ground. But you hear the crowd and they just get more and more nuts. Like... You're hearing the, the, the hollering in the background. You're hearing these claps and they're just eating out the palm of his hands. And he just keeps going back and forth, back and forth. And then he just looks out and says, are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. 
this is one device and this is the iPhone. And I mean, if you've ever seen Steve Jobs's presentations, his speeches, like it is a, it is a positioning masterclass. This is like laying down the marker. He's planting the flag right now. It's not even a subtle stab at his competition. He goes, let me talk about the state, a category of things. The most advanced phones are smartphones. So they say they combine a phone and some email capability, and they all have these plastic keyboards on them. But the problem is they're not so smart and they're really not easy to use. And so he's immediately going after the competitors. He's depositioning them. And then what I love as well is he uses a consumable and clear message. Boom, up pops up this kind of four quadrant matrices. And the vertical axis just has smart and not smart. The horizontal matrices is measured by hard to use, easy to use. So not smart and middling to use, all cell phones. Hard to use, kind of smart. All of the preeminent smartphones now. Boom, top right, easy to use and smart, the iPhone. Obviously, that might be a little reductive, but what I love is like the clarity of his vision and the clarity of the message he's sharing with that matrices right there is just so powerful. And I think that's like the superpower of product marketers is all of these features, all of these elements, there's a market, like where do you fit within that market? If you can do that concisely and to the point and with some clarity that shows your value, you're gravy. So he's come in there, he's doing that. And this is all within about four minutes. And this is not to mention as well that the product itself is about to change the game. Like it's also a lot easier for you when you have a product that you believe in uh, that is going to shake up how this this market is going to work and how people are going to use their phones for the foreseeable future. So, I mean, apart from, you know, the hype, because obviously a good product marketer is a good hype person, but that only gets you so far for a product to be truly revolutionary. It has to be truly revolutionary. So why was that first iPhone and, and maybe not the first one, but let's start with the first one. Why was the first one so impactful and, and how did that start the chain of events to lead to where we are today? Okay, first things first, the iPhone, the first iPhone, it didn't like change the game. I mean, there were a lot of issues with the original iPhone, right? Like if you can remember the touchscreen, it was good, but it wasn't great. It wasn't what it is today. Battery life, no chance. Didn't hold a candle to a Blackberry or any other phone. And calls, they were dropping. I don't know if you remember this, but calls would just drop left, right, and center. Oh, wait, okay. can you hold on? Yeah, you're breaking up. Hello? Hello? Is it? There was a lot of issues, but, and this is also kind of part and parcel where I think RIM and BlackBerry failed, is they, they saw these issues that was going on with the inaugural iPhone, and it caused them to, I think, overlook the bigger vision, the bigger painting that Apple and Steve Jobs were, were looking towards. And the vision, I think, that really encapsulates this, the idea that Apple weren't just looking to make a phone bigger. They were looking to make a computer smaller. And I think, although that's just like a good, cool catchphrase, having that as your mission statement and having that as like your vision and that you're building your product around that clear vision, it, it's going to lead you to win the category as obviously as other things that come to play. But those small things, you can fix your calls dropping. You can fix the, you can constantly iterate and tweak on your touch, touch screen capabilities at like Apple, but they bought a tech company that were excelling in like touch screen reactiveness. And as long as they had that clear vision in place, then the other things are going to come to fruition as well. And BlackBerry are looking at like, look, they sold 1.4 million units in the first year. 
we sold 4 million units in Q4 alone. And this is in 2007. Like, yes, they got some cool stuff, but they're not really a competitor. And I think fixing, fixing on those short-term issues and not looking at like the broader picture that was about to come in and just honestly be the cause of their demise, really. There's almost, it almost sounds like there was an arrogance to it. It was saying like, Apple's playing on our field. This is our house and Apple is just trying to find space within it. And therefore, if you're always looking at it through the lens of like, they're trying to be better than us, or, or let's just say like, they have to be better than us in specifically what we're already good at. Then you just say, well, look, you rest on your laurels. You say, well, our keyboard, like we're, we will always be better at typing. We already have this big market, but what the, the cautionary tale is, is that truly revolutionary product, like, like uh, the iPhone they weren't looking to compete within BlackBerry's house. They were looking to move to a bigger house and establish their own house. And I think that if, if there's, you know, there's obviously a bunch of sort of lessons to learn from this, but one of them is that like, no matter how big you are, you can always be brought down mm-hmm. and, and you cannot just rest on your laurels. You cannot just say, well, look, we're, we're the Kings and come at us if you want, and we'll just fight you. This is like Apple saying, we're not even really here to fight you. We're going to actually just like overtake you, but it has nothing to do with you. We're going to do our own thing and it's just going to be way better. Yeah. And it's the innovator's dilemma, right? So BlackBerry fracture market with this product and vision that really kind of changes the game. And then Apple come in, look at it, bird's eye view and say, yeah, they're doing a good job, but we're going to take over here. And one thing I also want to add is, although the I like the, the original iPhone, not as good of a product as the existing BlackBerry, but one of the most interesting pieces that I, when I did my research, was reading the two thousand, like in two thousand eight, the review of the original iPhone by Wired, and there's something really telling. There was one line that stood out to me, and it was, "The iPhone is a lifestyle phone, not a business phone." And ironically, they followed that up with sort of their deficiencies. I think they didn't work well with Microsoft Office, something with email attachments. Like they kind of looked at that as a bad thing. But that line right there was part and parcel of like, oh, the iPhone is actually catered towards not just business professionals, this broader market. And it was the market that BlackBerry had been going after as um, as they were trying to ascend. And so even then, when revenue numbers, not even close to BlackBerry's, the product, there's some stuff that's a lot better for sure. Browsing capabilities. I, th- I think people like the touch, even though it was short, had its shortcomings. Analysts, even those who swear they haven't been drinking the Apple Kool-Aid, seem to think the iPhone, like the iPod, will be a blockbuster. The real magic comes when you use your finger on that thing. You scroll lists like, by flicking like this. It's just so cool. But even then, the market was validating what the iPhone had built. And like you mentioned, Rima saying, you're you're in our you're in our world now we're not talking ipods we're not talking itunes we're not talking computers we're talking phones and ironically iphones are computers they're just small computers at this point so i think that's a really good point that you make there about rims oversight and it was there was validation in the market even then 2007 2008 um and they just failed to failed to adjust to the times quickly enough which i think we're going to get into with some like hard stuff about differentiators yeah, I mean, tell me a little bit about the impact of the App Store on the iPhone success. This was my favorite part of the research, for sure. Uh, and I like, because I, I hadn't thought about the battle too, too much. It's just like, oh, yeah, I got rid of my BlackBerry. But I didn't realize just how important the App Store was. It is the key differentiator that 
caused Apple's like exponential growth and just left. It, it, it creates like a this ugly, vicious feedback loop for um, BlackBerry where they're just they're just on their way to to their demise because the app store essentially nowadays it feels like a logical logical extension of the iphone right like one does not exist without the other but the original iphone didn't have the app store actually it didn't get released until with the iphone 3g in 2008 and the funny thing was steve jobs although it's there's not it's not official but in the book uh, on Steve Jobs's uh, the the biography on Steve Jobs's life is he was actually kind of opposed to the idea of an app store. We actually talked about this with our CEO Jason um, during our marketing meeting. Is that he was kind of and and for good reason too. Is like once you open again opening Pandora's box to third party developers, um, third party apps, external developers. It's like you feel like you're giving away your baby a little bit. Like you might have less control over the direction of the product, but what they did is they, they, they worked through that. And Arthur Levinson, uh, biotech executive and on their board kind of really pushed for this. And the moment that they allowed third-party apps into their space, there was a boom because developers flooded to it. And the two main reasons that this was a competitive advantage for them was that one, as I mentioned, the developers flooded to the market. So you have this crowdsourcing of ingenuity, right? And they are making viral apps, these fun games, again, that are catering to a broader consumer base that are becoming addicted to their phones with these games, apps, whatever you, whatever you can think of in the app store now. They had it. They were building it then. And the second part as well is it was another revenue stream. So the app store, Apple, were taking a 30% cut of all these developers. So they've kind of created, they start to create this sort of ecosystem where the iPhone is at the center of it. And it sort, sort of becomes this competitive moat, right? Like the, these apps are sort of propping up the iPhone. And meanwhile, BlackBerry aren't doing that. Once they did get into the kind of third party game, one, why would developers go there? Less people are going to buy their stuff, so they're going to make less money. In that, and because of that, there's less apps on the BlackBerry. People are going to buy less of them. And it just sort of like, it's a snowball effect, right? Like, let's, let's look at my example. 16-year-old Adam. Do I, did 16-year-old did Adam, although BBM was cool, don't get me wrong, I love BBM, did, but did I want to be, did I care that much about BBM and sending email attachments? Or did I want to try and become a Vine star and and show everyone my Flappy Bird score? So we're playing maybe the worst game of the year? Uh, no, I, I think that's completely unfair. Uh, I, I, I know, I'm is... kidding. This game's actually pretty good. It's the game we cannot stop playing. Yep, and It's called game, Flappy Bird. Flappy Bird. I can tell you, rest assured, I can tell you which one of those I cared about as a 16-year-old. That just encapsulates how much better they were at addressing this broader market. So if you had to sum up in three or four bullet points what caused the demise of BlackBerry because it's not like BlackBerry one day was this huge, powerful corporation. And then as soon as the iPhone came out, it was, it was a nothing burger. So what was it? What were the sort of the key three or four factors that, that contributed to the demise of uh, BlackBerry as we knew it back then? So I would say, first of all, that number one, the app store was humongous because that comes out around 2008 starts to pick up steam and from then on out iphones are doubling their sales year on year on year for i think the next five years and now or in 2019 the app store alone half a trillion dollars i had to check my notes because there was so many zeros on the on the document there half a trillion dollars alone like that is nuts so the app store 
again, I will reiterate, number one, super, super important. And then the, from the product standpoint, the touchscreen did become a huge differentiator on the product side because the touchscreen, not only was it a bigger screen, that allowed developers to create apps that catered to a bigger screen. Video playback was better on a bigger screen. And as they start to iron out the touch side of things, you can do so much more with a touchscreen between pinching, zooming, swiping, up, down, like things that is second nature to us. But iPhone was actually constantly releasing these different elements to their touchscreen over the years. Like if you went back to an original iPhone, it's probably pretty rote, the touchscreen capabilities. But now it's like, you can almost, you just, it's like another language you're speaking when you're just swiping around your phone and we do it subconsciously. Have you ever caught yourself going to a physical image and trying to do the swipe like that or the, the zoom in with your fingers and you're like, oh my God. Yeah, I've got the Surface laptop as my personal one and my MacBook here, which isn't touchscreen. And I sometimes just like zoom into my MacBook and I'm like, get bigger, get bigger. And it's just nothing. I'm just, I'm like, oh no, I'm just an idiot. And then I, okay, the third one, is less of like a hard thing that like the two first two things like what Apple did. And then the third thing is, I think this was the nail in the coffin. It sort of like encapsulates RIM's approach and or their lack of responsiveness to their competitors and what their competitors were doing. Because I think the best example was RIM then come out. They finally like raised the white flag and they're like, I you know what? I think the touchscreen might be better than the QWERTY keyboard. And they released what is now called the BlackBerry Storm. What kind of mad genius is behind this? America's largest 3G network introduces the world's first touchscreen BlackBerry. Only from Verizon Wireless. Which many people considered the biggest failure in BlackBerry's history. And the reason I think it's such a big failure, not only was the phone itself just really, really bad. Like it didn't contain apps. The phone was really slow and the touchscreen was super, super, super unresponsive. So from a product standpoint, it sucked, but it also just signified, like I said, they were raising the white flag and everything that was core to their product, they just shipped out and they pretty much were now copying Apple and the end result was just a shitty iPhone. Really? That's what it was. And again, they, they failed to acknowledge what Apple were doing back then. And then they're playing catch up. And once you're playing catch up in this kind of market, especially against someone that's so innovative and so creative and looking into the future, you're screwed. Like you're done. And so the BlackBerry Storm, I think is just like a microcosm of like many different things that they did that screwed up where they're at. Like, for example, when I, Apple were doing the research and development for the iPhone for about four years, there was a ton of tension. There was back and forth. Like, can we really do a touchscreen? Why don't we just do the scroll? Like you remember the old iPods. Why don't we just do a scroll? And they, they doubled down and said, no, we're going to make this right. And we're going to do this because this is what's going to win the category. However, BlackBerry would react it. They're responding to what happened in the market way too late. And they tried to get this BlackBerry storm out in nine months. And they didn't like, again, no one, no one's following a copycat. We say this all the time. No one's following a copycat. And that BlackBerry Storm example is just, it's the nail in the coffin, to be honest. Like we could get into the details of everything that happened as, as they fell apart. But the descent, if you look at the amount of units that BlackBerry sold, like we talked about in that peak around 2011, 2012, it just is a free fall. It just cratered. I think to wrap things up then, 
talking about Apple versus BlackBerry, I think is very useful from a storytelling perspective because there's a there's a finality to it. Um, we can officially say that, you know, BlackBerry is no more, even though it took till January 8th, 2022. But at the same time, I mean, Apple didn't put BlackBerry in the ground and then, you know, dusted their hands and said, well, we've won. I mean, if anything, it, it, they started to come under even more intense competition with Android. So if you look into your crystal ball, project out, will Apple ever beat Android? And the second question is, will there be another player in the market? Apple battles on two fronts, right? There's an operating system side where they're battling with Google, Android. Um, and although Apple dominates within North America, externally, Europe, Asia, Australia, like Android is the primary operating system. Now, they don't have the same brand affinity because typically a vast majority of the actual phones, and this is the other side, the other battle Apple's fighting, the phones themselves are fighting against it, like you, like you mentioned, Oppo, Samsung, Xiaomi. And so they use Android hardware. Um, or software, sorry. So they, they're kind of battling like iOS on the operating side and then the iPhone on the other side. So they have to fight on both of those fronts. And what I think, first of all, what I think based on the lesson we just saw with the BlackBerry Apple is that they're not in danger of seeding control, at least within North America. I think with the App Store, with the kind of brand affinity that they've built by listening to the market, catering to the market and just straight up building a dope product, is that I don't think they've got this competitive mode where they're, I don't think that they'll just get over overthrown like BlackBerry did within a blink of an eye. I think that's the lesson we should take from the retrospective between BlackBerry and Apple. In terms of looking into the future, now I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not an expert in this, but I think there was a really good question that was asked in Business Wars that explained, like dove into this battle. I guess the question that would answer that, or the question that needs to be asked is, is there white space for even more innovation and disruption. So if we think about it, battery life, it's battery life for phones is still an issue. Like there's still a lot of improvement that could be done on that front. If someone nailed that side of things, the batteries, I don't know, that could be huge. If I didn't have to charge my phone for what a couple of days a week, that's, that's a selling point to me. And I, again, our, our electric vehicle story, that's what Tesla did. They, they really focused on the battery production and that was kind of their differentiator. They knew that that was the heart and of, of their product. Other things as well, which is actually pretty interesting is like, I'm sure you've noticed, like, I, I don't know what iPhone model I have now, but this is big enough for me. And the new ones, the screens are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Like it's kind of getting a little overwhelming and you can see phone makers in the market starting to try to deposition Apple. Samsung's new Galaxy has come out and it's this foldable phone with a touchscreen and it's sleek and it really is positioning itself as a phone, a more usable phone than this kind of bigger and bigger model of iPhones. And so there, there are going to be battles on that front, but it's really like who's going to innovate next. And on the operating side, I think that they've, they've got a firm market there. They've got a firm foothold in the market, especially in North America. But the thing with Android, although they do power a lot of the, these other phones, there's not the same brand affinity to them. So I, I can't answer exactly what's going to happen in the future, but I do feel confident based on what we saw with Apple versus BlackBerry that they're not going to just die overnight. Adam McQueen, 
Appreciate you letting me sit in the host chair for a change. You know, you're, you're more passionate about this than I thought you would be. I love nerding out, man. And this was like the, one of the coolest like stories I've gotten to like sink my teeth into again. So I'm, I hope I did this story justice. I'm sure there's some things I've left out. People like hit me up with other things that you, that you know, or if you, you think about with this story, uh, why Apple one, why Blackberry lost, but man, I just love kind of looking at the storytelling side of this and kind of the competitive lesson. So I hope. It was a good listen and I love being on the other side, but I'm quick to jump back to being a host again. When will the written piece be up on the website? It's up. It's live today. So if you're part of the Coffee and Compete newsletter, we also do a monthly versus. Um, so that will be in your inbox as well. And it will be up on the blog. So go check it out. Clue.com slash blog. And yeah, give it a little read if you, if you, if you want to keep going on into this story. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Ben. Also, if you haven't yet, please subscribe and leave a review for this podcast. It would mean the world to us. Plus, we're doing our next CE Live on March 3rd, so we hope to see you there as well. And finally, you can also find the article I wrote for this exact story in our Coffee and Compete newsletter, and that will be in the show notes below. 